This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Again, welcome you to Nags Head Church. Today is the fifth of six messages in the series on family uh, that we're doing here at Nags Head Church. We started on Mother's Day, going to wrap up next Sunday, and then on Father's Day, Andy's going to follow up with a, with a message. Uh, so many of you uh, have come up to me uh, in the past weeks, including uh, today. Uh, people still coming up and saying, man, thanks for this series. It's making a difference in my life. It's making a difference in my family. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's making a difference because God's Word speaks to our needs and speaks to uh, very relevant issues in our lives, including family. We're tackling the issues that are closest to our hearts. And if you've missed any or all of this series, uh, please don't forget that you can go back and uh, go onto our website at nagsheadchurch.org and uh, uh, find our podcast link there and listen to the past messages up to this point. So I hope that you'll do that. We're going through the the word family, F-A-M-I-L-Y, one letter at a time. Today we're on the letter L, and it's about learning to live in harmony. I don't ever want to stop being a learner. I hope my mind, I hope until the day I die, my mind is still active. Um, I have good genes in, 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 uh, in, my, in my heritage background that kind of indicate that probably that will happen, and I hope that it will until I'm way up in years still learning uh, because God never wants us to stop learning. Why? Because we never get to the place where we know it all. Now, there are a lot of people who think they do, but none of us ever arrive at that place. Um, even if you have children who have grown and moved on, as children are supposed to do, none of us who are parents uh, have erected a holiday inn, you know, for them to stay in. We all hope that they do one day grow up and move on. I was talking yesterday with a with a parent that said, you know, I'm kind of not looking forward uh, to that day. Or it was the day before yesterday. And she said, I'm kind of, my, you know, not look, my kids are growing older, and I'm not looking forward to the day when they're all gone. And I said, it'll be okay. And uh, I said, well, all of a sudden, one day you'll realize this is not so bad after all. And uh, even if they're, they're moved ahead and they're grown and, and, uh, and living life as they should, uh, you still need to learn. Because not only is marriage and family hard work. It's, it is a never-ending learning experience. It's no surprise that I want to share three things with you today that I believe are probably uh, equally absolutely necessary to building a healthy marriage or a healthy family, but at the same time are absolutely against our nature to do. We fight against it. We rebel against it. ah, It's a struggle for us to do these three things, but that's why we have to learn them. That's what makes them a challenge. So this morning, we're going to learn about some things, I hope, uh, that'll help, three things that'll help you with your family. Before we do, I've asked the band to to do a song. As Gail and I were in our our trip uh, that we took back earlier in the year in the winter, and we're traveling across the country, uh, there are places in this country that, yeah, as you drive through, uh, believe it or not, there's some place. Because often I would driving and I would turn on the radio and listen to some music. You know, sometimes we're in the car for hours, and and I want to, you know, let's turn on some music. And and there are places in this country where the only music you can pick up on the radio is country music. 
you know? And so either you don't listen or you'll listen to the country music. And I'm not much into country music, but, you know, there are some places out in West Texas. There, are some, there was one spot, Gail will tell you this is true, one spot out there that we drove through one day going from San Antonio to El Paso, Texas, in that area. There was one spot where we turned on the radio and I hit the scan button and it went, kept going and going, never stopped because there were no radio stations to listen to out there, you know. Um, but as we, as we would drive through and, and, and on occasion have to listen to country music, this song kept coming on the radio. It must be a popular song right now. It must be in the country top 40 or something, uh, if they have such a thing, the country top three. I don't know. But this song kept coming out, and, and I listened to the song. Chad, Chad kind of likes country music, you know. It's, it's funny. We got, we got heavy metal in Nashville right here, you know. <laughs> And classic guy right here, you know. <laughs> but um, this song kept coming up, and I listened to the song, and it would come back on the radio later on. I said, that is, listen to this song, Gail. And it was such an incredible song. And, and I emailed Nathan. I said, find this song. I don't even know who sings it. Try to remember the name of it. But find the song. This will be such a great song to do in our series. And especially, man, it speaks to us. And so um, I want you to listen to the words of this, and, and, uh, and, and I hope it speaks to you before we continue on this morning. Well, there will be something that I want to talk to Jesus. 
All right, three things today as we work toward living in harmony in family, three things that you need. There's more than three, I'm sure, but we only have time for these. Number one is trust. Trust is the glue that holds relationships together. And it's not just our relationships and family and friends, and trust is so vitally important in those, but trust is what our relationship with God is all about if you have a relationship with him. Did you know that the word in the Greek New Testament, the New Testament written in the Greek language, the word for faith, the word for belief, and the word for trust are all the same word in the Greek language? If you have established then a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's because you put your trust in him. That's what he, that what he said and what he did is true. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 says, We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. You've put your life. Trust means I have put my life and I put my eternity in his hands. That's what trust is. And trust in the family is just like that. I am putting my life, I am putting my my heart, I'm putting my emotions, I'm putting my needs, I'm putting my cares in the hands of those around me. My, My safety, my security, it all. I'm trusting those in my family. I'm trusting mom and dad. I'm trusting my spouse. I'm trusting my kids to do the right thing that they've been taught to do. Trust is so important. The closer we become to someone else, the more likely we're to reveal about ourselves, opening up ourselves and becoming vulnerable. And if we're going to build that relationship, it's got to include trust. And trust is a hard thing. And it's hard because we, you know, I know my own heart. I know what's there. I know that I'm not perfect in any way. And we all know that about ourselves. Even the best of us would have to say, I am not 100% totally trustworthy. But it's also true that the most trusting people are the people who at the same time are the most trustworthy. Those who trust the most are the ones who can be most trusted. When a couple standing before a minister says their vows, they are making promises that they say at that moment, I will keep this vow to you until when? Death. Until death parts us. You know, I've done a number of weddings, and I've attended a bunch more, and I've never been to a wedding where, and, and, the, and typically the groom says his vows first. I've never been to a wedding when, where the groom said his vows and got finished and the bride looks up with him and says, you're a liar. I don't believe you. I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. Anybody ever been to one of those? You know, Of course not. Why? Because a couple, when they're getting married, are building their lives together on the foundation that says, we trust each other. That's what these vows are about. Marriage is built on trust. Family only works when there is trust between parents and children. But you know, trust is like respect. Trust has to be earned. Has to be earned. One of the great passages of Scripture, ladies, about being godly wives and godly mothers is found in Proverbs chapter 31. I want you to look at what it says about this issue of trust. It says, who can find a virtuous and capable wife. 
And, and, and the implication is when you find one, you found a rare jewel. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is worth more than precious rubies. Why? Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She will not hinder him, but help him all her life. Now, for some of you who are here today, I recognize and understand that for, for you, perhaps broken trust or what we might call betrayal is what brought the end to your marriage. And that's a painful experience because when we lose trust in someone, it hurts because trust is something that comes from our hearts. It's not just in our minds. It's something that we give our hearts to. So how do we build trust? Let me suggest some things to you in your family that you can work on. We build trust, first of all, by being honest about everything. Trust deteriorates when there are doubts about being truthful, telling the truth consistently, even when it hurts to do so, is always better than covering up or lying. If you're, if you're married, I, I, just, I just have a belief that if you're married, you ought to not have each one of you have your own finances, but that you, you have joint checking accounts. You have joint credit cards so that your finances are shared. Why? So that everything is in the open, so that there are no secrets that one is hiding from another. I watch every now and then, not as much as maybe I I used to, but I used to watch a lot because Gail really liked her show, Susie Orman. You ever watch Susie Orman? And people call her, she's this financial guru, and she's got great practical advice for finances. And and she has this call-in stuff. And and every now and then, and almost every week, it seemed like somebody would call and say, I just found out that my husband, my wife, has, has racked up $50,000 in credit card debt. What do I do? How does that happen? And what happens when that takes place? Trust is, is destroyed in the other person. That's a painful, disabling thing. Be honest about everything. Secondly, Guard your relationships with the opposite sex. And again, that's two Sundays in a row I've said sex. For those of you who've been here. Guard your relationships with the opposite sex. Trust is so important when we're dealing with people, husbands are dealing with other women and wives are dealing with other men in friendship or business relationships. Gail knows who my female friends and acquaintances are, and I see that when we're in social environments, I see that she meets them, I introduce them to her, people that I meet out in the community and in various agencies and so forth. I ask her permission when I add any female friends to my Facebook list. Gail, is is it okay if I put this lady in? She wants to be a friend on Facebook. Is that all right with you? I ask her permission to do that. She can check my Facebook account anytime that she wants to see who I'm talking to. I don't meet with a person of the opposite sex alone. The only exception is sometimes I do if that person, if that lady is old enough to be my mom. And then uh, if I'm visiting or doing in, in some kind of capacity as a pastor, but I always even then let somebody else know about where I am and, and what I'm doing. If you need to meet with someone because of your business, and some of you do, you need to meet someone because of what you do in your job, you know, and sometimes I do as well, you meet in a public place like a restaurant or a coffee shop, 
And, and the reason is this, guys and, and, and ladies too. Your, your best friend of the opposite sex, whether you're a man and, and your best female friend, had better be your wife. And ladies, your best female friend or male friend had better be your husband. You want to safeguard your marriage, you want to build trust, then you make it that way. And that's so vitally important. Emotional affair, affairs are just as destructive as physical ones. And while we're here, men, talking about this, about relationships with the opposite sex, let me also add this. Some of you guys are having fantasy relationships through email or, for, or on pornography on the Internet. And if that's the case, you are destroying the trust in your marriage. Be careful. Guard your relationships. A third thing to build trust is to check in often. And this goes to you young people that are here today. They're living at home with mom and dad. Uh, this goes for you as well. Check in often. Uh, Friday night, and, and I, I don't, Gail doesn't read my sermons in advance of when I preach them, and I don't, you know, run them through her or by her, but just this point, it was already in, in my message and ready for, for today. And Friday evening, she had to, to work, and, and uh, her job took her down to Hatteras, down to Avon, and she was kind of late getting back because of all that was involved. And, and I got a phone call Friday evening, answered the phone, and, uh, and it was Gail sitting at home, and she said, she said, hi. She said, I'm just checking in. Why? Well, she knows when, when, when she's out there by herself traveling, I'm concerned about her safety. I want to know that she's okay, especially if she's going to be a little bit late. I don't want to kind of think about, wonder what's happened to her. Or is she broken down on the side of the road? Check in often. You young people, same thing. That means if you're going to be late getting home, if you're delayed for some reason, make the phone call and tell him or her or them where you are and what you're doing. That means uh, couples in the morning, share your daily schedule. Here's where I'm going to be today. Here's what time I'll be home. Why? All that does is build trust. And trust, again, is a huge building block in your marriage. So trust is the first thing. The second thing I would urge you to build and, and learn how to develop in your marriage is communication. When I said communication, all the husbands just took a collective inward groan. Now, you didn't dare let that groan be heard because that would be communicating something. But, you know, I'm a man too, and, and I'm in this dilemma, guys, with you. Communicating at home is not my strong suit. But because as a, as a pastor, I have a calling to communicate clearly, I've got to put this in the message today because I know it's, it belongs. You know, and I was, as this past week, I'm writing these things down, and I said, communication, Lord, I don't want to talk about that Sunday because then I'm preaching to me too, and, and which typically I'm doing anyway. Lord, is, is this something, you know how, how God often speaks to you, the scripture says in the still small voice, you know, how, how he does that. And I'm just, God, can I, can I put something else in there instead of communication? Is that all right with you? And he spoke to me in his voice and said, no, you know, it needs to be there. Don't leave it out. Just to illustrate this morning, a little poll that we'll take right now, how many of you would, who are married or have been married would say, you know, a lot of problems we've experienced in our marriage or in our family 
could have been avoided if there had been better communication. Would you raise your hand if that's the case? There's a few honest people in here. All right, now. And husbands are saying, what problems? We don't have any problems. And so, wives, if your husband didn't raise his hand, you have my permission to communicate with him right now with your elbow in his ribs, all right? I've heard, I've heard it said that, you know, that women speak a whole lot more than men. You know, they just use a whole lot more verbal communication. But never saw any scientific proof of it. So I did a little research, and I found that there was a study that was recently done. Surprised me, by the way. And it said that on the average, a woman speaks in one day 16,000 words. That's incredible. But then it said, on the average, a man speaks just a little under 16,000 words. In fact, it said the difference is only 3% between men and women. What that says to us, guys, is that we're talking just as much as them. The deal is we're not talking to them. Communicating in our family, communicating in our relationship, and we guys will often excuse our inability to be good communicators with our wives by saying something like this. Well, I'm the strong, silent type. Well, guess what? That's not what she needs. It's not what your family needs from you. They need to hear good, sincere, honest communication at other times than when you're angry. We need to understand and accept that men and women communicate differently. Now, here's, here's one example. And ladies, uh, you need to understand that we are different, and one of the difference is, differences in how we communicate is that men, when we communicate verbally, we just want to hear the facts. Just give me the facts, ma'am. You know, that's how we are. It's kind of like when we men go shopping. I know what I want. I go in, I get it, and I get out of there. We just want to hear the facts. Women, fellas, on the other hand, they, they want to hear all the details, They want the story embellished. They want verbal communication for for them as a journey. It's an adventure. Here's an example. Let me give you an example. A man will come home and say, I got a flat tire on the way home today. That's it, he's done. Got a flat tire on the way home today. His wife will say, As I was driving home today, after stopping at the bank, the supermarket, and the post office, oh, and guess who I saw at the post office? Do you remember Alice from our old neighborhood? What was her husband's name? I can't remember. I think all her kids are growing and married now. I should have asked. Anyway, I mailed that package to my mother. I can't believe how much postage costs these days to send send a package 200 miles. Are you with me here, guys? You know what I'm talking about? So as I drove away from the post office and I picked up speed, I noticed the back of the car seemed to be swaying a bit, so I knew something wasn't right. People were pulling up beside me, pointing at the rear of the car, so I pulled over, and guess what? I had a flat tire. It's because we're wired differently. There's a video that that maybe you saw on YouTube about, about this little girl you know, she hasn't even learned how to speak words yet, but it just kind of asks the question, are all women like this? Is this where they learn it? Watch, this is great. Let's back it up and let's try it again to get some volume this time. Back that up, Roxanne. Back it up, Roxanne. 
Yeah, grab it. Drive. We, we, don't, we want to miss every word this little girl says. We don't want to miss any of it. Okay, let's try that again. Click, play. Down the bottom, left, play. Over here, play. Over, over here, over there, up, yeah, click. How many of you guys can relate to that, all right? Look at it. There's one brave man right there, all right? Yeah. Except usually she's not sitting in a little seat. She's sitting in the seat beside you as you're driving the car, you know? We're wired differently. We have to learn that we are made differently, that we communicate differently, and accept that difference. But listen, communication is more than just talking. It's also about being a good listener. It's not about, it's not about letting your Body language indicate you don't care or you don't want to hear about it. It means, guys, when she's talking to you, put the newspaper down. Turn off the television. Communication really, we want to say what it really is. It's really about respecting the other person, isn't it? So here's a a few suggestions to open and improve communication. Several things, real quickly. First of all, eat dinner as a family together with the TV off and talk about the day. Eat dinner together with the TV off, and I realize for some of you to do that, you're going to have the shakes for a few days, but eat dinner together with the TV off and talk about the day. Someone wisely counseled Gail and I before we got married. They said, before your first year of marriage, don't own a television set. So we didn't. Why? Because you need to learn how to communicate because when the TV goes on, the communication stops. Secondly, Don't use Facebook, chat, or email to talk to each other when you're in the same room of the house. (laughs) Now, I'm just kind of joking here, but how many of us have done that, you know? I have. Yeah, we're sitting there, she and I, in the same room. Both of us got our laptops, and I notice she's on Facebook, so I go over to chat and say, you're looking smoking hot tonight, something like that, you know? (laughs) Sometimes that's fun, but it should not be how you typically talk. Covenant with each other to spend at least 30 minutes each day just talking and listening. Half an hour. You say, I don't have a half an hour. Then make a half an hour. Find a half an hour. And it doesn't have to be talking about serious stuff. You may have to get out of the house and take a walk on the beach. You may have to, you have little children, go somewhere to a park or something when while they play you talk. But don't, listen, you parents of young children, don't let But we have kids be an excuse because it's a lame one. Find ways to spend time together to talk. And then let your kids know you're always available, parents, to talk to them and then be available. As they get older, find some ways to find time alone with them just to talk. Go out for a walk, take them out for an ice cream, do something, but spend some time together. Then... um, Listen without interrupting. Oh, how hard is that for some of us? Just learn how to be a good listener. Listen without interrupting. And then the last one is found in Ephesians 4.15, and that is speak the truth in love. Be honest. Be transparent. 
Be respectful. And when you speak, when you have communication, build up, don't tear down. So we've got trust, communication, we made it through that one. The third one this morning is grace. If you do a quick run-through in the New Testament and look for the word grace, you might be overwhelmed at how many times it is written, the word grace, especially by the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament. Over and over, he says to the churches that he wrote letters to, he says phrases like, grace be to you, grace and peace be multiplied to you. I want God's grace to overwhelm your lives. He's made many statements like that. Grace means giving good to someone who deserves bad. That's what grace is. Grace is giving the second chance. Grace is giving a person an opportunity to make restitution, to reconcile. And Paul understood grace. Paul was the perfect man chosen by God to write these words in the New Testament. He knew so much about grace. He had come from a very legalistic Jewish background where grace was virtually unknown and law and justice were the driving forces of his beliefs. You're familiar with the idea, and this was so ingrained in him and in in Judaism, an eye for an eye. There's no room for grace. It's only about justice. No second chances. And the motivating factor, if there's no grace in your life, what you'll discover as a, as a spouse or as a parent, the motivating factor in your, par- in your family, if it is not grace, will become shame. You try to shame everybody to get them to do what you want them to do rather than extending grace. Paul had no idea that Jehovah God was a God of grace until he was confronted by Jesus outside of the city of Damascus. And he discovered that even though he had hated Jesus and his followers, God still loved him, and God wanted to include him in his family. You ask yourself, how would you treat someone who had persecuted and jailed and and even overseen the execution of your family members, of your friends? Yet God showed Paul grace, and then God used Paul to teach the churches in the first century and to teach us all about grace and how to live in that same grace and how to give it out to others. To live in the family together means you have to extend a lot of grace. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 is talking to husbands. Look what it says about grace. In the same way, you husbands should live with your wives in an understanding way since they are weaker than you. But show them respect, because God gives them the same blessing he gives you, the grace that gives true life. God gave you grace, give it to others, is what he's saying, including your wife. And then he adds this little caveat to that. He says, and and fellas, please catch this. This is direct, this is to the men. Look at that last little line in that passage. Do this so that nothing will stop your prayers. Do you get what Paul's saying Fellas, if you say, you know, I tried praying and God didn't hear me, maybe it's because you're not treating your wife like you should. Because the Bible says if you're not respecting her, if you're not understanding her, if you're not giving grace to her, and you go to God and you pray about something, you know, I need a new job, I need a raise, whatever it might be, God's going to say, no, wait a second, I'm not doing anything for you until you start learning how to treat this woman that I gave you as your wife. I think that's pretty powerful to us as men. 
You need to be on the receiving end of grace as well. Here's the truth. If you, if I, we, you know, if you wanted your, your marriage, if you wanted your family to be perfect, you should have never gotten involved. You should have never joined it. You should have never become a part of the partnership. Why? Because none of us are perfect. But when you begin to be full of grace, you will begin to empower your spouse and your children in ways that will bring change to what might be broken in them. 2 Peter 3.18. Peter wrapped up his second letter to the churches. Read this. Read this with me. Let's read it together out loud. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's he saying there? He's saying you grow in grace. In other words, it's something that you learn as you progress through this Christian life. It's something that you discover as you go day by day by day, this grace that God wants to be in and through us. What does grace mean in practical ways? First of all, grace means it's God's job to fix or change the other person, not mine. God didn't put you with the spouse you have. God didn't give you the children you have so that you can fix them. You can fix him. How many women? I know, Mama, he's not maybe the one that you would choose for me, but I promise once we're married, I'll change him. Yeah, the ladies are laughing. Doesn't work that way. Changing or fixing is something only God can do. And here's what happens. If you try to be God in their lives and you try to change them or fix them, and usually not by grace but by shame, you try to be the fixer, you'll only be frustrated and angry when your attempts fail. So don't take on that burden. Give it to God. It's God's job. Grace means, secondly, I draw my strength and my life from God and not from another person. You know, as much as you and I are to love and to cherish our spouses, as much as we're to love and to nurture and provide a safe place for our children, they are not, not our children, not our spouses, they are not created and qualified to be the source of life and strength for you. And how often is that exactly what people do? They find their reason for being They find everything that they are in their family and they set themselves up for destruction because when there's a failure on that person's part, whether it's something they did wrong or when there's a death and you find yourself widowed and your whole life has been in that person and now that person's gone or that person leaves, what do you have to keep you going? I guess now I have to turn to God. That's where you should have been in the first place. Better draw your strength from the only one in the universe who guarantees he'll never fail you, he'll never let you down, and the only one who can provide the strength you need to handle every day whatever life throws at you. Grace also means this. I choose forgiveness, not bitterness, and it's a choice. I choose, nobody is bitter because somebody else made them that way. You choose either forgiveness or you choose bitterness. It's our nature to hold grudges. It's our nature to seek vengeance. But that nature is an old sinful nature. It's not the nature of Christ in you. If you want vengeance, leave that to God. But refusing to forgive 
will only lead to bitterness, which only allows the hurt and the one who inflicted the hurt to control your life. So let me talk about forgiveness for a second. What is it? Here's what forgiveness is, simple as we can make it this morning. Forgiveness is graciously letting go of an offense. Letting it go. You have to make the choice to let it go and so and not to allow it to control your mind and your actions. And this is where people say, well, that's impossible for me. And that's where I say, great. That is the greatest step you could have made to say that was impossible because now you're saying, that's something I cannot do. I need to rely on the only person in the universe who can do the impossible because the Bible tells us that with God, all things are what? Possible. Again, it's dependent on him. It's dependent on Christ and his grace working in your heart. That's what forgiveness is. Well, what is forgiveness not? Let me help you understand some things because there's a lot of confusion about, well, I've forgiven, what does that mean? Forgiveness, first of all, is not the removal of consequences. After David sinned with Bathsheba and was later confronted by the prophet Nathan leading to David's confession and David's repentance. Remember, he had adultery with this woman and and she got pregnant, and then to cover all this up, he had her husband murdered on the front lines of battle to try to cover it up, and he thought, good, that's all taken care of now. She can be my wife, and she's having my child, and so forth. But if you know the story of David, Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance and confession and receiving forgiveness from God. It's an incredible passage in scriptures. David goes to God and says, I was so wrong, and and God, don't desert me. Don't take your spirit from me. And he cries out to God, and he understands that God has forgiven him. But what about the consequences? The baby died, didn't survive. David's other children, there was, David's family was, was so dysfunctional. David's family was so built on, on a lack of trust. One of his sons rebelled and tried to take over the kingdom, and he was, he was tragically killed, and it broke David's heart. David, one of David's daughter was raped by one another, one of David's children by one of his sons. And it was just a family besieged with tragedy. Why? Because there are consequences. Even though there is forgiveness, the consequences will still go on. You can't erase consequences. Also, forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Somebody comes to you and says, you know, I I wronged you and I'm sorry, and would you please forgive me? And so many times I've done this and you've done it too, and you say, that's okay. It's not okay, because when you say it's okay, what you're saying to that person is, well, go ahead and do it again. I kind of like it. It's not okay. It hurt. It was painful. It was wrong. You don't absolve responsibility and accountability. In fact, you have to hold the person who did the wrong responsible. You need to expect accountability from that person to continue, if you're going to, to rebuild the trust in the relationship. If you say it's okay, you're saying, it's okay, go ahead and do it again. It's not removal of consequences, not saying okay, then forgetting, uh, forgiveness is not the forgetting of the offense. Wait a second. Doesn't the Bible say... Forgive and forget, yeah, right next to where it says cleanliness is next to godliness. It doesn't say either one. 
It's not the forgetting of the, the, you're not God. You've got this brain that remembers everything. Now, it's like a hard drive in a computer, you know. It's all stored in there. But you're like you and I, you know, you know what it's like. You know it's in the computer, but doggone, I cannot find that file. You know what that's like? I know it's in here, so I've saved it somewhere, but I cannot find it. That's how our brains are. It's not about forgetting But just because you don't or can't forget doesn't mean you dwell on it either. Forgiveness is also not a guarantee that intimacy will return. Sometimes the damage is so severe that it ends the relationship. That doesn't mean you can't forgive. You can. You can graciously let go of the offense but it doesn't mean everything returns to normal necessarily. I remember years ago, I was deeply hurt by a friend, stabbed in the back. Not long afterwards, and he, and he knew what he had done, and his wife, he and his wife made the comment, but we can still be friends. You know, I had no, had no desire to be his friend ever again. I had no desire to let this person into my life ever again, because I'm not going to do that. You know, you need to choose your friends wisely. I chose wrongly, and it wasn't going to happen again. You know, I might reach down and pick up a poisonous snake one time and get bit, but I'm not doing that again. So it's, it's not a guarantee intimacy will return, but I didn't let the hurt turn to bitterness against him. Sometimes the, the relationship is over. Three things, these three threads, if you will, that make this cord we're building today, this rope to make your family strong, your marriage strong, trust, communication, and grace. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes with me for a moment. How are you doing with these three things in your life? Not how is your husband doing, not how is your wife doing, Not how are your kids doing, how are you doing with these three things? Is God's spirit maybe moving you today to make some changes in the right direction in these areas in your life, in your family? Has he spoken to you about something? If so, then you need to do something about it. And do something about it starting now. Don't put it off. Just maybe right this moment. I'm going to learn, God, to trust. I'm going to learn to communicate. I'm going to learn grace and how to forgive. I'm going to let you teach me these things. I'm going to depend upon your grace, realizing I can't do these things by myself. And I'm going to live in harmony at home. And I'm going to work at it with your strength and with your grace. Father, take your word and work it into our hearts and change our lives. However you need to today, we leave that up to you, depend upon you to do that work. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.